CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. As the world nervously braces for COVID mutations, scientists are warning that it's only a matter of time before an entirely new disease triggers a pandemic. Dan Riskin investigates fears that it will emerge from places very close to home. A global pandemic terrified the world. But this wasn't the year 2020. It was the pandemic of 2009. Swine flu. That flu, a combination of viruses from pigs, birds, and humans, infected more than 60 million people. But that was a drop in the bucket compared with the next pandemic we faced. So far, infections from COVID-19 have reached more than 200 million worldwide. But most experts fear the next pandemic we'll see, and we will see another, could be much, much worse. Selecting for the emergence of a pathogen that might kill a billion people. And the source could be closer than we think. If animals are commercially farmed, a virus can, can spread through them like wildfire. In the global pandemic against COVID-19, virologist Angela Rasmussen with the Georgetown Center for Global Health Science and Security. Is an American superstar. We still have vaccinated a very small uh, relative proportion of the population. The vaccines still do work against all of the variants. We don't really know in every situation how long the virus will linger in the air. From big American networks, Angela is now making a big move from New York to Saskatoon. A really great opportunity and one that I couldn't really pass up. The opportunity to join a new lab being built from the ground up at the University of Saskatchewan. The lab is being built with level four containment, so Angela can safely study new pathogenic, meaning deadly, viruses, discovering how they could affect their human hosts. What Angela learns will help figure out why some people infected with viruses like COVID-19 get sicker than others. When these viruses that are emerging come into contact with us, they really throw a wrench in the works. Um, I could say something that's not appropriate for TV, but they, they F it all up really badly. That's really what, what I'm studying. That knowledge will also help build new vaccines. This manufacturing section is still under construction. No one has filmed in here before W5. But soon, researchers here will be developing new vaccine technologies, some for animals and some for humans. There's no facility like this anywhere in Canada, and it's one of just a handful in the world. Just the fact that I am here signifies that, at least in Canada, this is something that's being taken very seriously. The Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization in the heart of Saskatoon is funded by Ottawa, the province, and this city. The quality of life here is a lot better in many ways. Now it's true that I can't get, you know, anything delivered at two o'clock in the morning like I could in New York, but it just feels really exciting to be part of like the, the first class of people who are part of that effort. An effort including learning from COVID-19 variants 
to help arm us against future viruses. A variant is a new strain of a virus with small but important changes to its genes. As you think about the next disease that might come and face us, you think that that variability is going to be part of the landscape? I, absolutely. The more people that, that get infected, unfortunately, the more unique things you'll see that a virus can throw at you. Viruses spread by making billions and billions of copies of themselves. But they're not always 100% accurate. Sometimes there's a mistake, a mutation. COVID-19 has now mutated hundreds of times. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was just one version of the COVID-19 virus. But then came the variants. A variant is sort of a new virus. It's genetically distinct. So it's completely different as far as the immune system is concerned. First, the alpha, also known as the UK variant. Here, random mutations caused a single amino acid to change in the spike protein, the spear-like part of the virus that jams into the cells of our bodies when we're infected. Then came the South African-born beta strain. Its spike proteins were also changed, but it didn't outcompete the other strains and eventually faded away. In the virus world, it was a bit of a flop. Brazil spawned the gamma variant with 17 changes, including three in the spike protein that increased its power to spread. But none of those early variants compare with the delta variant, first seen in India. It had a change to a molecule responsible for targeting and invading healthy cells. That made it as infectious as a seasonal flu. It caused more infections and spread more quickly than any other variant before. What really keeps me up at night is the emergence of variants like Delta that just spread like wildfire through a vulnerable population. In the variant war, Delta seems to be winning the battle. So much so, it's even given rise to its own variant, Delta Plus, now being seen in Canada. COVID-19 has already killed more than four and a half million people worldwide. But back in 1918, Another virus caused at least 50 million deaths and infected a third of the world's population. It was the Spanish flu. And while the origins of COVID-19 are front and center, we're just now, about 100 years later, learning where the Spanish flu began. It was zoonotic, meaning it spread from animals to humans. But despite the Spanish name, one study claims it likely came from wild birds in North America. A lot of people are saying that diseases are going to move more commonly from animals to people as we move forward in time. Do you subscribe to that way of thinking? Absolutely. With every passing decade, we're coming into contact with wild animals more and more often. As we clear-cut forests to make more homes for ourselves, animals are losing theirs. From exotic bats, to some a little more mundane. I don't want to look around too closely because I don't want to see any spiders because I'm not a huge fan, but um, you know, we're surrounded by, by insects and there's probably some gophers uh, over there. They carry fleas that carry plague. But go beyond the suburbs and the disease threats don't end there. In fact, many scientists believe it's just the beginning. One of the ways that influenza can jump species is when birds are flying through a farm uh, and then infect those animals and then people can contract them from that. 
Virus outbreaks originating from animals are not rare, and they're certainly not new. Bird flu outbreaks are happening all the time. At least eight types are circulating in farms around the world right now, with most human cases happening after contact with infected poultry. Back in 2003, SARS, the last coronavirus outbreak Canada saw before COVID-19, hit Toronto hard. There, it killed 44 people, quarantined thousands, and tore through local hospitals. It's believed to have originated in Chinese live animal markets. Across Africa, outbreaks of Ebola started in 1976. It's been seen in primates and bats, and when it crosses over to humans, the fatality rate is up to 90%. What's horrific about it is that it kills so many people. Not necessarily because the virus is an exceptionally lethal virus, it's because the virus is really good at hijacking the body's response. Angela has started to figure out why that virus does better at hijacking some people compared with others. And what she's learned about Ebola could translate to other viruses, like COVID-19. She worries most about the real-life inspiration for the movie Contagion. It's mutated. The film was science fiction based on science fact. A real-life virus passed from animals to humans. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then 16. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're headed. The Nipah virus. It has an extremely high case fatality rate, you know, approaching Ebola levels. In 1998, the Nipah coronavirus was first seen in Malaysia. Infected bats eating fruit in trees would drop bits of chewed up food onto farms below, where pigs would gobble them up. The newly infected swine would then pass the coronavirus on to their caretakers. But when Nipah jumped to humans, death rates spiked up to 75%. And Nipah is back. I woke up today to news that there was another Nipah outbreak in South India. Um, Certainly stuff like Nipah keeps me up. A virus stemming from farmed animals is something epidemiologist Rob Wallace has been warning about for years. So how big a problem is this? Does this keep you up at night? Yes, it does. It does keep me up at night. We've seen a, a documented increase in the pathogens that are spilling over into human populations, primarily out of industrial uh, raised livestock and poultry. About 75% of new infectious diseases are zoonotic, responsible for about a billion illnesses and millions of deaths every single year. Question is, what will the next one look like? And because of the opportunities that these pathogens have to spread around the world, it's also, in all likelihood, increasing the, the deadliness of these pathogens as well. Coming up. We are at risk of becoming complacent as we've been in the past. A recipe for disaster. There's a lot of money to be made to keep the system going in this direction. When W5 continues. As bad as the COVID-19 pandemic is, there's real fear the next one could be even worse. 
With three quarters of new infectious diseases coming from animals, experts like virologist Angela Rasmussen warn, we need to learn from our mistakes. We are at risk of becoming complacent as we've been in the past. That means thinking about how we deal with our environment and the environment we create for the animals we consume. We don't exactly understand where COVID-19 came from, but could it happen in a Canadian scenario, a Canadian farm? Could that be a place where a disease could emerge? There's a lot of pigs and chickens being farmed in Canada. Um, certainly that is fertile ground for an influenza outbreak. It's all food for flu, as it were. American epidemiologist Rob Wallace has been waving the red flag for years. You've been warning about a pandemic for decades, and now we've, we're living in one. Uh, so do you think people get it now? Yes and no. Uh, the yes part is obviously the year and a half has been such a shock, but what's missing is the connection between how we raise our food and the, the means by which these pathogens move from uh, their uh, hosts into livestock and into humans. The fear isn't about eating the meat. It's about raising those animals in highly concentrated industrial farm conditions. Whenever animals are kept in close quarters, um, that is an environment that is incredibly conducive to a virus spreading. We've been told the to physical distance because tight quarters allow viruses, pathogens, to easily jump from person to person. It's the same with animals. But in addition to close quarters, industrial farming adds a lot of stress on animals. That can suppress their immune systems, leaving them vulnerable to disease. It uh, leads to the kind of stress and inflammation that uh, allows for uh, pathogens to better be able to spread around. A potentially lethal mix. But it isn't just the speed of the transmission. In nature, a mutation that made a virus too deadly would kill its hosts, fizzling out before it could spread. But in a densely packed farm, that deadlier virus would grab hold and take over. You end up selecting for much more uh, dangerous pathogens. German scholar Emil Feibrig got interested in possible industrial farming links to COVID-19 when he learned something about the area in which the pandemic is believed to have started. Wuhan is not only famous for its wet markets, but also for its, its big um, factory pig farming. He and a team of researchers started looking remotely at other countries with intensive pig farms to see if a pattern emerged. One did. They first looked at Brazil, because that country produces nearly four and a half million tons of pork a year and ships to 70 countries around the world. This shows the most concentrated areas of intensive pork farms in southern Brazil. And this is the concentration of COVID-19 cases. Overlap them, and they're concentrated in the same central area. If we looked uh, towards the inside of the country and the rural areas where there isn't many people, we still saw high incidences of COVID-19. They also took into account higher human populations, which naturally would cause more COVID cases. But those areas are mainly on the coast. They also looked at the United States and saw similar patterns in the Northeast. 
there's uh, big concentrations of hogs, lower population density, and high incidence of COVID-19. Intensive American pork farms and high US COVID rates overlapped. Similarly, in Germany, where pigs in industrial farms outnumber humans about eight to one. It's not a formal study, but it does raise questions like, is the concentration of industrial raised pigs to blame? The real solution from a disease control point of view is to step away from factory farming and keep animals in decent conditions where they can have a, a more natural life. Philip Limbury is the head of Compassion in World Farming International. This is what he filmed in China. It's about the bottom line, producing as much meat as possible, as quickly as possible. And he says it's getting much, much worse. What's happening in China is it's going the other way. Ultra factory farms where the pigs are being kept in like multi-story car parks up to 20 stories high or more. With nearly 2 million pigs a year stacked in this new mega farm, it's the biggest in the world. And it helped increase that company's profit by more than 1,400%. Uh, there's a lot of uh, money to be made to keep the system going in this direction. You're saying that these farms are selecting for viruses that can do exactly what you described? That's correct, and it's not on purpose. It's just that the uh, economic model under which they organize are directly related toward moving as much uh, protein to the market as fast as possible. Protein with an unexpected side. When we keep animals in factory farms, we have to feed them antibiotics to ward off the diseases that are inevitable. More than 70% of our antibiotics right now are used on industrial meat animals. It fuels the rising tide in antibiotic resistance, which also uh, seeps into the human community too, which is why antibiotics worldwide are increasingly losing their potency. What does Philip see as a way out? This is not about people giving up meat altogether. It's about being aware of where our meat comes from. But it's not just the animals we grow for food. It's a problem for other animals grown in those conditions too, like mink. Nearly all of the fur worn around the globe comes from farmed animals. Last November, the world's largest supplier of mink fur, Denmark, detected a mutated form of COVID-19 infecting some of those animals, and those mink caught it from people. So Denmark culled all of its mink, around 15 million animals, the worry at the time was that human vaccines still being developed wouldn't be effective against the mutation. In the US, at least 10,000 mink died after getting COVID from humans. And in British Columbia, several mink farms have also seen COVID cases, prompting some farmers there to start vaccinating healthy animals against the virus. Our pigs do what they want, so they just have a stress-free life. They eat and sleep and root and wallow. This small, free-range pig farm in Saskatchewan really is hog heaven. Well, to a certain point, it is still a producer of pork. But owner Joanna Shepard aims to be completely different from large commercial producers. I grew up on a family farm in the UK, and we had uh, pigs that were chained by the neck. 
which is how it was done in the 70s. And I didn't like that, so I thought there's a better way than doing it like that. So now we have gone completely opposite. Joanna and her husband keep their 50 pigs outside as much as possible. It's a more natural way of raising them. It makes them happy. It makes them taste better too. You would make more money if you started to industrialize a little bit. It's not about the money. It saves one pig going through a, an industrial lifestyle. I feel better about that. We are at a historical crossroad, because uh, if we don't do anything, then it's very well likely that we'll have multiple outbreaks and pandemics to come that can do considerable damage, perhaps even more than COVID-19. With zoonotic diseases going back as long as humans have existed, that's now becoming a dire warning. But overseas, a shift has begun. One of my top political priorities is animal welfare. The European Union's executive level recently announced a ban on caging many food animals by 2027. A sign, perhaps, that change has started. This is really one world. You don't have just human diseases, human viruses, and animal viruses. You have viruses that can go back and forth, and humans are, after all, animals. Preparing for a future pandemic, the federal government has created a $2.5 billion program with one main task, be on the lookout for emerging infectious diseases. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.